And so th- this morning we're going to continue in this series, and I've invited a friend of ours, uh, uh, pastor, reverend, friend, missionary, Linda Seiler, and uh, she is actually a missionary that we support as a church. So every time you give to New Life Church, we, 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 we tithe 10% of all of our church's income, and what it does is help people like Linda do what she does. And so help me welcome Pastor, Reverend, Missionary, Doctorate, Linda Seiler to the stage. She'll tell you a lot more about what she's doing. Thanks, Devin. <laughs> Appreciate so good it. To see you. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for your regular giving. Pastor Devin was telling me how you guys tithe off of your giving and how God just, he blesses that. I mean, that's just a kingdom principle, and he's blessed you guys, and I I am grateful to be a part of receiving that blessing and that overflow of what God is doing. And um, just by way of introduction, I know Devin and Jenny because we were in Lafayette, Indiana, serving at the, well, they were serving at the a, one of the AG churches there, and I was the Chi Alpha missionary to Purdue University. And um, I came to Purdue in 07. I, I hail from the foreign land of Illinois, uh, just across the border. <clears throat> and uh, went to the University of Illinois, was a high school English teacher, actually, for five years before I went into missions full-time. And so I was the Chi Alpha director at Purdue University, took a team of four of us to re-pioneer the work there. Back in 06, 07, Chi Alpha had died out in the state of Indiana, and so we were the first of the groups to start up again. And um, so anyway, God began to bless that and grow and expand what he was doing at Purdue, and then he started to call other people to the state of Indiana to pioneer Chi Alpha on other campuses. And, and uh, the Lord gave me a vision when we came to Purdue. I saw like a trampoline in the spirit that we were to train up people and send them out to pioneer Chi Alpha on other campuses. And so um, some of our staff ended up going to Ball State to pioneer and helping out with um, Notre Dame and UND, uh, IU and other places uh, to help get Chi Alpha started. And in addition, he called people from other places, other states to come and to pioneer. So it was really neat to be a part of the Chi Alpha revival here in Indiana. And I thought I would be at Purdue University until Jesus returns. That was my plan. And that was not the Lord's plan. So in uh, 2020, I finished my doctorate at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. I have a picture here of my sister celebrating my graduation with me. Um, <laughs> Nancy is a party waiting to happen. So anyway, um, my dissertation was 30 case studies of men and women who were formerly same-sex attracted and have experienced transformation, where that's no longer part of who they are. It doesn't dictate their identity or determine their destiny. Many of them ended up going on to uh, be married and have children and, and so forth. Doesn't mean they can't ever be tempted again by the old self. That's I mean, we all struggle with things from our past, but it, it no longer dominates them, and God has actually rewritten their story. And um, so anyway, that also is part of my own background as well, which is why I was passionate about this research that I did. Because in my history, I, from my earliest memory, wanted to be a little boy instead of a little girl. You can see in this next picture, I was very boyish growing up. Um, And I grew up in the 1970s, nobody was talking about LGBTQ, transgender, nobody even knew what transgender was till like 10 years ago, right? Um, And so I had never heard that word, thought I was born that way, a boy trapped in a a female body. And excuse me, I'm I'm getting over the same cold apparently that Devin had. Um, I'm really sorry, I'm really raspy this morning. 
Um, so at any rate, I, I felt like this little boy trapped in a female body, and then as I got into junior high, I discovered I was exclusively attracted to women instead of men. Now, I didn't choose that, and I didn't want that, but I felt helpless to change it. And this was the 80s, I couldn't tell anybody. You know, if, if you're 40 and above, you know how our culture was the diametric opposite of what it is today. And I was terrified to tell anybody. I got saved, I thought all this would go away. Junior year in high school, I thought if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, the old is gone, the new is here, that's what I heard. And so when I received Jesus, I thought I'd wake up the next morning and all this would go away, and it didn't. And so then I thought, now I really have to fool people. So I lived a double life throughout college, wasn't until my senior year in college that I told my campus pastor what was going on and he responded by demonstrating compassion without compromising the truth of God's word. He said, we love you, thank you for sharing that with me, I know that took a lot of courage. We are committed to walking alongside you and getting you the help that you need. I didn't know that that was gonna be the beginning of an 11 year journey of transformation in my life. I didn't know it'd be 11 years, I probably wouldn't have signed up for the trip. <laughs> but suffice it to say, discipleship is messy and time intensive. It's what the Bible calls sanctification, progressive sanctification. It, it's not, I wish we could, as Pentecostals, sometimes we just wanna come down to the altar, get slain in the spirit, and go down with all of our brokenness and come up whole, right? <laughs> and that's how I wanted it to go down. And I discovered that these desires did not develop overnight, and they didn't resolve overnight. And so it was a process, but thank God, it didn't take as long to unresolve as it did to build up in my life, but it, did, it was a process, it took some time. I don't have time to tell you that whole process this morning, but suffice it to say, God took me from being this androgynous woman, uncomfortable in my own flesh, exclusively attracted to women, as you can see in the left-hand picture on the next slide, and he transformed me so much so that not only my exterior appearance changed where I wanted to embrace who God called me to be as a woman, but even the internals changed. Where, to, to summarize, suffice it to say, I am no longer desiring to be a man. Uh, I, I'm content in a female body as who God created me to be. That took some time for God to resolve the wounds of rejection and the things in my soul that led to rejecting the very body that I live in. And then he also has restored my soul where I used to be exclusively attracted to women where today I'm wholly attracted to men. Which uh, that change kind of happened in my mid to late 30s which was awkward and thrilling all at the same time. Uh, going through this like kind of delayed puberty kind of thing. Um, I, in case you're wondering, I am 50 years old. No, I'm not married yet, but um, I missed my prime dating years for obvious reasons. And if you know a man who's middle-aged and loves Jesus, um, that would be awesome that we could connect. So. Um, at any rate, uh, in 2020, as I finished my dissertation work, the Lord called me away from the local campus to work with Chi Alpha in a national capacity. And so now I train Chi Alpha missionaries in the US and overseas in matters of applied theology and culture is what we're calling it, um, which is really, um, I'm helping people just, you know, how do we respond through the word of God, specifically with regards to LGBTQ. And uh, I also am the executive director of an, a 501c3 that was established to equip churches to respond to LGBTQ. It is called Restoring Ministries, like God rewriting your story. So you can see on the next slide, 
Uh, our, our website has a, a number of resources, conferences, different things, and I'll share some of that at the end with you as to some of the free resources that are available. I also have my book available here today. Um, there's a table just outside the sanctuary. Um, it just came out in August, and it has my story of transformation, and it answers a number of other questions like, you know, are people born gay? What does scripture say? What about transgender pronouns, gay weddings? You know, how do we respond to our culture today? I wrote that book specifically to equip assemblies of God, pastors, missionaries, lay leaders, concerned believers who are wondering how in the world do we respond? The book is written from a Pentecostal perspective. I'm not ashamed about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and who God calls us to be as our Pentecostal distinctives. And quite frankly, that was key to the process of my own transformation. Without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I would not be standing here today. And so I am really grateful for how God used believers in my life and specifically words of knowledge and even prophetic words. I share in my book how I was attending, this was 1996, at a service, and a woman picked me out of the crowd, didn't know me, she was from Texas, I was from Illinois. And she said, the Lord wants you to know when you were born, he wanted another little girl instead of a boy. Read my mail, changed my life. We actually have a recording of that prophetic word that we got on cassette tape back in the day that we've digitized now. And when I do one-day seminars, I, I heard a couple of you were at the seminar I did in West Lafayette. I think Emily came, yeah. Um, so when we do these one-day seminars, we actually play that recording. And we were making videos of that one-day seminar we just did last October and editing that, and that will be available next year in 2024. So if you go to my website, which is just my name, lindaseiler.com, you can sign up for newsletters and we'll, we'll give you a, an email as soon as that video series becomes available. So that's gonna go hand in hand with each chapter in the book. Um, so at any rate, those are available if, if you'd like to pick up a copy. We're selling them cheaper than you can get them on Amazon um, today so that there may be some who are like, man, I, I wanna buy one for me and for you know, people in my family or others that might be interested. So those are available. Before we get into today's message, like every good missionary, I have to show you a picture of my family. There, okay, that's my beau, that's Boaz. That's, that's his baby picture. So uh, you could hold him in, in your hand. Um, he is now 17 pounds and barely fits on my lap. He's giant, he's a big teddy bear. But he wasn't much of a snuggler and so I ended up getting a second cat, Tabitha, Tabby. She's my snuggler, so she's on my neck. You see Bo in the background there? He looks smaller, but he's giant. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook, as do the Galloways, um, you will see that uh, Bo and Tabby are the feline Facebook sensations that are featured on my uh, page very often. So. And I mean, again, pray for me, 50-year-old woman with two cats, which was never my intention. Um, <laughs> I want to share with you today a message on Romans chapter 12, verse 2, uh, talking about transformation, uh, transformation, kind of a play on words there, and resisting the pattern of this world. Like Pastor Devin was talking about the living counterculturally. There is a pattern in this culture and in this world that is trying to force you into something that is never God's design or his will. And we need to be able to resist that, but we have to figure out, okay, discern what's going on in our culture and then say, oh Lord, how do we respond in this cultural moment by conforming to your word rather than conforming to this world? Amen? So Father, I pray you would lead us by your Holy Spirit this morning. I just yield to you. I pray the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. I pray you'll strengthen my voice. And uh, God, I just pray you'll prepare every heart for what you specifically have this morning. 
Encourage your body. Bless them. Strengthen them in this cultural moment, we pray, that Jesus will receive all the glory. Amen. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the pattern of this world, specifically with relation to LGBTQ, is three distinct lies that I'm going to identify and address this morning. The first one is this, that sexual orientation exists and is inborn and immutable. It cannot change. Secondly, love is love. And thirdly, love equates to affirmation. Now, this, you go anywhere in our world today, especially in our schools, and this is what you're going to hear as quote-unquote truth. And it's not true. And we have to figure out, okay, as believers, how do we respond in this cultural moment to these lies that are being fed to this next generation and really all across the media and in movies and everywhere you go? This is what dominates our culture now. So let's look at that first lie that sexual orientation is inborn and immutable. Now, sexual orientation doesn't actually exist. It is something that has been so pounded into us as a culture that we literally believe it's real. It's not real. We actually made this up about 150 years ago. And there are some people who say, oh, well, you know, the Bible doesn't mention sexual orientation, so we need to update the scriptures to match what we've discovered in science, social sciences, and psychology. No. The Bible doesn't mention sexual orientation because it doesn't exist. If you say we need to update the scriptures, you are actually implicitly accusing the Holy Spirit of ignorance. And so you didn't know what was going to happen 2,000 years into the future, and so we need to update the scriptures now because the Holy Spirit, who inspired those who penned those words, is ignorant. No, that's not true. What has happened is, about 150 years ago, there was a... a guy that worked in the field of psychology over in Europe, I think he was German, and there was a negative connotation with homosexual behavior, and actually there were laws against it, and this guy himself was gay and, and identified that way and, and wanted to, and of course we didn't use that word back then, but he had attractions to the same sex, and he wanted to break the negative social connotation with that. And, and essentially, to explain his own reality as an unbeliever, he said, it's like I'm a man, I have a male body, but a female soul. Because I'm attracted to men instead of attracted to women. And so, it, that, out of that was birthed the idea that there is something called an orientation. That there's the homosexual versus the heterosexual. Homo being same, hetero being different, opposite. So same sex attracted or opposite sex attracted. This has so been ingrained into our culture over the last 100 years or so, we just assume that those categories exist. In my book, I don't actually use the words heterosexual and homosexual except to explain concepts like this and where they came from because those concepts don't exist. It's not listed in scripture. Again, not because the Holy Spirit is ignorant, but because these things don't exist scripturally. So what happened is about 150 years ago, we, we introduced these terms where if you now say there's homosexual desires, it takes what the Bible describes as an action. Men who have sex with men, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Or Romans chapter 1, women inflamed with lust and desires for women and, and unnatural desires. Uh, ex- sorry, this is what it says. Women exchanged natural desires for unnatural ones toward women and men inflamed with lust for one another. The Bible describes it as an action that we do with our body. But what it did is it takes that action, the verb, and it turns it into a noun, the orientation. And now it is a state of being that dictates your identity. It is who you are. It takes it out of the realm of being a moral issue. And now, because it's related to your identity, it is now a civil rights issue. We have actually passed laws in the United States to create a protected class for sexual orientation and gender identity. And so now, if you say, no, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, God's design, not between two of the same sex, you are now, logistically speaking, according to our culture, the equivalent of the KKK. Because it's no longer a moral issue, it's a civil rights issue. Very crafty on the part of the enemy. But here's how we got there. Our culture doesn't understand body, soul, spirit, as we do, scripturally speaking, so they use things like the genderbred person or the unicorn. Have you seen these things, this diagram? So the genderbred person creates these four false categories that don't exist. We made these up to try to explain sexual brokenness. And so it says your gender identity, who you are in your mind. So Linda, in your mind, you felt like a man. So that means your gender identity is male. Transgender, right? That's what we get transgender from. Transgender ideology is just, it's nothing more than a subjective feeling. How do I feel about the body that I'm in? I don't really feel like I align with this physical body. So in my mind, I am a man. And, and I, the desires are real. Like I lit, literally felt like a man trapped in a female body. So when I was nine years old, I heard about these things called sex change operations. And I was like, are you kidding me? I go to the hospital one day as Linda and come out the next day as David? Sign me up. I literally had a plan as a nine-year-old. As soon as I had enough money and I was old enough to make my own decisions, I would get me a sex change, become David, and live happily ever after. Note to self, you can't actually change your sex. Sex or gender is not assigned at birth by a doctor. It is designed by our creator who knit us together in our mother's womb. He has a plan for us as a male or a female. And he has a design for our sexuality that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. His design is that if you are a male, you are designed by God to be attracted to women. If you are a female, you are designed by God to be attracted to men. And the two come together and are one. And you fulfill the, the creational mandate to reproduce fill the earth and subdue it in the same way that God created us and he rules over the universe and he subdues it. So we image our creator. And I explain all this in the first couple chapters of of my book where I talk about the answer to why homosexual behavior is wrong. This generation doesn't want to know that it's wrong. Don't tell me that it's wrong and give me a rule. I want to know why. Well, part of it has to do with how we are made in the image of God as male and female. Because God exists as unity in diversity. Three distinct persons, one unified God. And the, it is used of God, um, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the Hebrew, it says, the Lord our God's Elohim, the Lord is Ichad, one in essence, not necessarily one in number. 
And that same word in the Hebrew is used of Adam and Eve, the two. The father, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become ichad. Same word used of God. There is something about the mystery of sexual union that the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, you think I'm talking about husband and wife, but I'm talking about the mystery of Christ and his bride, the church. There is a mystery of that physical marriage and that sexual union where the two become one that is pointing the way to the ultimate union between Christ and his bride, the church. And that ties into the reason why God's design is male with female together, the two becoming one. Of course, the world doesn't see it that way. So they say your gender identity in your mind can be totally different than the way you express yourself to the world, male, female, androgynous, your expressions, the name you use, all the clothes you wear, and that your gender expression can be different than your biological sex, your anatomy as male or female, and somehow that can be different than your sexual attractions, your orientation, so to speak, whether it's same sex, opposite sex, bisexual, and so forth. And the world says there's no rhyme or reason. You can fall anywhere you want on any of these four. If you're a kid, choose. Pick, pick one, whatever you want to be. And that's not the way it works according to God's design. God designed me as a female to understand myself in my mind as a female and to be attracted to males. And if any of those areas are off and they don't align, it's not an indicator that I was born gay, born trans, born whatever, non-binary, whatever. That's, that's not an indicator of that. It's an indicator that something is off in the soul in the mind, will, and emotions. If some reason my mind does not align with my physical body, the answer is not to rearrange the skin on my body to match my fallen mind. The answer is to renew my mind to match the body that my creator has given me. Amen. Now, one of the things we know um, is, is we look scientifically at sexuality, your brain, your physical brain, and your sexual drives and desires are inextricably linked. And that's why scripture says, you know, if you're gonna be set free from sin, we have to take every thought captive. Because what you think on will affect your emotions and that eventually will affect your will and that will even affect your bodily desires. And what we discover is this, those who have trauma in their soul and things from the past, that can affect your present reality, including your experiences as far as sexual drives and desires. They are all linked, spirit, soul, and body. You can't dissect them out. The world wants to dissect them out and say there's no rhyme or reason. Pick whichever one you want. But we know according to God's design, if these things don't align, these, these false categories that we've created, it is nothing more than a red flag indicator saying, Linda, Linda, something's off. Linda, 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 something's off in your soul that needs to be realigned. Like three people understood that joke I just shared. <coughs> Okay, so um, the, 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 or the Bible talks about spirit, soul, and body. So I've got on the next slide, you know, just how you're, I, what I just explained. What you think on in your mind affects your emotions. That could affect your will, your bodily drives and desires. So when you realign and address trauma that might be in the soul, it can impact your emotions, it can impact your will, it can impact your body. So one of those things that we find is that many people who experience attractions to the same sex have had wounds of rejection, where they've been rejected for being, say, gender non-conforming children, where they don't fit the stereotypes of what a masculine man is or a feminine woman is, right? 
Those stereotypes are not in the Bible. And it's not that God is contending for us to be androgynous and not, you know, identify as male and female. But we all know men who don't necessarily fit the stereotype of like John Wayne, rough and tumble, work on cars, football player kind of guy, right? We've all met men who are maybe sensitive in their temperament, in touch with their emotions. Maybe they're really good at singing or art or theater or drawing or cooking and they they don't have an athletic bone in their body. When they go to school as little kids, what do the other boys call them? You're a sissy. You're a girl or your other derogatory names, right? That is psychologically traumatic to that little kid. And it's not his fault that he doesn't fit our culture's gender stereotype. God created him as a creative young man with a sensitive temperament and the beautiful gifts that are in him. That's God's beauty and creation. And we need to affirm him in who God created him to be. But this world is cruel and the enemy is looking for ways to derail our sexuality. So he will tell that little boy, you don't fit in. You don't, you know, you're a sissy. There's something deficient about your masculinity. You take that same boy who grows up in a home and maybe his dad is a good father, loves his son, trying to bond with him the same way he bonds with his other son. They go out in the yard and they play football. And yet this son doesn't have an athletic bone in his body and the father doesn't know what to do with him. And he doesn't know how to bond with that son in a way that's emotionally meaningful to the son. It's meaningful to the father, but he doesn't know any other way. And so the son can think, wait a minute, I think my dad loves my brother more than he loves me because they play football together and they bond over things and I don't seem to, I miss my dad emotionally. And it doesn't, it could be a subtle temperament personality difference. And yet a child's perception trumps reality. If that child doesn't feel loved by his father, even though the father has the best of intentions, I don't blame parents, I don't blame my parents, it's, it's not the parents' fault, parents have the best of intentions. But if that child perceives that he is rejected, for whatever reason, the enemy will whisper in his ear and say, oh yeah, I've been telling you all along, you don't fit in. There's something deficient about your masculinity. See, you're not like your dad, you're not like your brother, you're not like the other boys, something's wrong with you. Take that same little boy who's isolated, he goes to school, he doesn't fit in with the boys, he's playing with the girls and he doesn't fit in. And in some cases, the enemy can send a pedophile that knows how to groom their prey and choose the little boy that doesn't fit in and is longing for masculine love. And he'll give him that attention, albeit inappropriate male attention. And then he starts to wonder, why did he choose me and not the jock? Why did my body respond that way? Does this mean I'm gay? And the enemy says, oh yes, I've been telling you all along. There's something deficient about your masculinity. This is who you are. You're born gay. Do you see how the enemy can kick us while we're down? And he can use circumstances in our lives that are beyond our control to influence our thinking and defile us against the truth. And it's not to say that it's anybody's intention or fault, it's the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Similar things can happen with a little girl. I don't have time to get into the whole thing. Um, It's not that there's a formula, it's just that there can be things that happen in this fallen world that impact our thinking, impact our emotions, impact even our physical drives and desires. For example, if a little girl experiences sexual abuse at a young age at the hands of a male, she may, at five, six years old, say, ooh, that was, un- that was uncomfortable. I didn't like that. Men are scary. Boys are scary. I will never be vulnerable with a boy. When she grows up and becomes a teenager, why in the world would that trauma in her soul that's been lodged there go away? It remains with her. But if boys aren't safe and men aren't safe and she doesn't ever want to be taken advantage of again, what's her other option? For some women... 
they become promiscuous and they will always be the initiator with a man because they will never be taken advantage of again. And for some women, they decide only women are safe and I will never bond sexually with a man. It can affect us all in different ways because we're not robots. We're not programmed a certain way. We respond differently. My sister grew up in the same home as I did. She never struggled with her sexuality. But she struggled in other ways that I don't struggle because she has a different personality temperament, different life experiences, different responses to those things. But what we do see is among those who struggle with their sexuality, many times you can link it back through the power of the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, show us where the root is. Because if there's a reason, here's the good news, there's a resolution. But sometimes the reason is not readily obvious, and it's usually not just one thing. It's usually layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. That's why, in my case, 11 years process. I'm still in process. Each day I walk with Jesus, I'm still growing more secure in who he created me to be as a woman. It's not that I have arrived. It's not that I can't be tempted by my past. But you know what happened when Jesus showed me the reason? And he helped me get connected with him and find healing and resolve for those deep wounds in my soul. Did you know I don't thirst for the illegitimate things anymore to meet a legitimate need? He met the legitimate need in a legitimate way. And so I don't need those things. It's kind of like at Thanksgiving where you're like done eating and you already had two pieces of pie and you have to put the sweatpants on because you, <laughs> you ate too much. And then mom's like, who wants another round of green bean casserole? And you're like, I couldn't. <laughs> Full, satiated, filled. He satisfies the thirsty, fills the hungry with good things. He has filled my soul and satisfied those areas where I used to hunger after women and being a man in an illegitimate way to satisfy a legitimate thirst in my soul that God wanted to meet in the right way. So that's the first lie, is that somehow sexual orientation exists, and it's, it's immutable. Nope, it's not immutable. It can change. We change all the time. We think that's a normal thing in the body of Christ to see people transformed and changed. Even your desires can change. Ephesians 4 says it this way, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I had deceitful desires, desires that were lying to me. The desires were real. I legit felt like a man trapped in a female body. I was legitimately only attracted to women. I did not even know what an attraction to a man felt like. So the desires were real, but they were lying to me. And so the answer then was to put off my old self, not to embrace it and be like, well, I'm a gay Christian. I'm a trans Christian. No. We put off the old self and we're made new in the attitude of our minds, in our soul, so that we can put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God delights in redeeming and restoring us and renewing us to who he created us to be, aligning our sexuality with his design rather than the pattern of this world. So that's the first lie. There's no such thing as sexual orientation. And our, our des desires can change. You have experienced desires change in your life. Maybe you didn't struggle with your sexuality like I did. But there may be other ways. Let me, let me just take a poll here. I don't know if anybody's brave enough to admit this. But is there anybody here that has ever struggled? I mean, we're family, right? We can do this. Anybody here that's ever struggled with selfishness? Is there anybody here? Okay, we have some brave souls in the room today. Wow, look at all those hands. Every single day, I struggle with selfishness. And I have to die to it daily. I have to pick up my cross. Now, just because it's a daily struggle for me, I do not all of a sudden be like, well, I'm a selfish Christian. 
That's my old self. I put it off. I don't embrace it and label myself by it. And I don't say, well, this will never change this side of eternity. I'm just going to be selfish, selfish, selfish till the day I die. No. I anticipate that as I yield to Jesus, I die to self and I welcome him into my life and I renew my mind with his word and his Holy Spirit lives inside of me and begins to conform me to the image of Christ. And Jesus isn't selfish. So if I'm being conformed to his image, I become more giving and more generous and more selfless the more I come to know Jesus. And you know what? I'm not as selfish as I was a year ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Thank God. I still have a ways to go. I still struggle with it, but he's conforming me to the image of Christ. I look more like Jesus today, thank God, than I did five years ago. I hope the same is true of you as you walk with him and renew your mind. Why are we not applying that to the area of LGBTQ as if LGBTQ is somehow immune to the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit? It's not. But the world is telling you that it can't change. Oh, it can change. Okay, second lie. Love is love. Thank you for playing. It's not what scripture says. Scripture says this. God is love. We have taken human love, human desire, human idols, and said this is the ultimate. No, no, no. God is the ultimate. God is love. First Corinthians says this. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. There's no pride in love. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Hello, cancel culture. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. I rejoice in the truth of God's design for sexuality. I choose to say, God, you are greater than this fallen world and even my fallen desires. God rejoices in realigning my sexuality with who he created me to be. I rejoice in the truth rather than affirming lies. And the Bible also says this, 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Will not, will not, will not, can't. Mm -mm. This is a hard word. Because we'll be like, but God loves everybody. Yes, he loves everybody. That's why Jesus died for every single one of us. But you know what? It's not love is love, God is love. So God gets to set the standards for what love is and what living in his kingdom looks like. And living in his kingdom says, nobody who does wrong continually in habitual, unrepentant sin can inherit the kingdom of God. You can't say, Jesus is my Lord, and then live contrary to Jesus being your Lord. Right? When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me, that means I deny myself. I don't keep self on the throne and say, well, I feel this way, so I'm going to live this way. No, God's word determines what is true, not my subjective feelings. But what this culture has done is we have elevated subjective feelings over the objective truth of God's word. And so 1 Corinthians says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, a very clear reference to the homosexual act. There are some who are saying, oh, that word was mistranslated. We have resources that explain, and my book explains why that's just a lie. It's a very clear reference to the homosexual act. Um, Nor thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. It puts LGBTQ in the same category of those who were greedy. You ever seen somebody greedy, set free, and now they're generous? Anybody? We just did raise hands, selfish, greedy. Drunkards. 
Adulterers, idolaters, we don't, that's like normal Christianity for us. We see people set free in those areas all the time. Well, then why in the world do we say, well, LGBTQ, uh-oh, that's immune to the gospel. Not according to scripture. We all break in different ways. Maybe you didn't break the way I break or broke, but you're, you broke in ways that I didn't break. But this describes all of us to some degree. And scripture says that is what some of you were. It doesn't even say that's what some of you used to do. It's just not even who you are anymore. Because you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so we need to have compassion, yes, on those who struggle with their sexuality. I think that's where the church has missed it by a country mile. Where we have the, you know, the Westboro Baptist you know, caricature of the church where people were afraid to, sh I was terrified to tell anybody what I was struggling with because the church didn't know what to do. But you know what? It's a new day. And we know more and we're doing better because we know better and we can help people who struggle with their sexuality. I was talking with Pastor Devin before the service today and he said, this is a place where if people struggle, no matter what they struggle with, this is a place where we're not gonna affirm sin, but we're absolutely gonna affirm God's word. And we're going to affirm you as a fellow human being made in the image of God. And this is a place where we can walk that out together. That's what the body of Christ is, right? And so Genesis 9, this is the way the enemy is twisting everything. Genesis 9 says, I'll establish my covenant with you. Never again will I destroy the earth because of its, sick, its sinfulness. And he's, whenever you, the rainbow, remember the rainbow in Genesis 9? appears in the, it's a promise of God's covenant. Never again will I destroy the earth like a flood because of your wickedness. What does the enemy do? He takes the very symbol of God's promise never to destroy us for our wickedness and throws it back in his face as a figurative middle finger to God with his own symbol. One day I was driving behind a car. Remember in, in junior high or grade school when you learn about the rainbow, the Roy G. Biv, like red, orange, yellow, right? So I got the Roy G. Biv on the left side. So I learned there were seven colors in the rainbow. Seven, number of completeness, God's number, the whole bit, right? One day I'm driving behind a car that had the LGBTQ flag, and I was compelled to count the numbers in the flag for some reason. I don't know why. Probably the Holy Spirit. And I discovered the LGBTQ flag. Guess how many numbers? Six. Hmm. It's the number of man. A subtle thumbprint of the enemy saying, I'm going to take God's symbol, I'm going to twist and pervert it and put my thumbprint on it. And that's what he's doing. He's taking that very symbol of God's love and his covenant promise to us and throwing it back in his face. But you know what? This world wants to say God is love, love, love. Love is love. Mm -mm. You know what scripture says? God is love. But actually when the angels are around his throne, they don't even declare, God, you are love, love, love. What do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God in Revelation chapter 4, which is on my next slide. God is holy. Yes, he's love, but it's a holy love. It's a love that has standards that align with God's word and his design for sexuality. He absolutely loves us. He absolutely has compassion for us in the middle of our brokenness. But he loves us enough not to leave us in the middle of our mess and to call us higher into his design for our sexuality. Second Corinthians talks about being transformed into his image, not being conformed, again, to the pattern of this world, but being transformed as we look into the eyes of Jesus and we spend time with him, we become more like him. That is 
the gospel. That's normal Christianity. Okay, third lie. If you love me, you'll affirm me. Hmm. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, you'll obey me, some translations say. There is a standard, yes, love, but it's a holy love. It's a love that's in alignment with God's design for our, our, our sexuality that is holy because we're in the image of a holy God. And so scripture says it this way, um, that, well, scripture, I say it this way. We're taking the second commandment in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, and we're elevating that above the first and greatest command, to love God and his word with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Today we are more concerned about what other people think about us than we are about what God's word says and what God thinks about us. Did you know when it's all said and done, we will stand before the Lord alone. And I want to hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not going to matter what your neighbors thought of you, your coworkers, your family members. We are so scared in cancel culture and with the pressure of social media, we don't want to be publicly shamed. And so we're being chameleons. We're trying to blend in. Thinking that we're doing the right thing because, you know, I can't offend people because if I offend them, then I can't stay in relationship with them. And if I'm not in relationship with them and build that bridge, then they'll never get saved and come to know Jesus because God needs me for them to come to know Jesus. I think some of us are on a mission to restore people to relationship to ourselves rather than to point them to the Savior. Think about Jesus. He was not on a mission to win a popularity contest. If he were, he went about it all wrong. <laughs> he was on a mission to restore, to redeem humanity to relationship with the Father. And he didn't care if there was carnage, including himself, in the way. So rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, What's good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Oh, you know, go sell or, you know, keep all the commandments and the rich young ruler's like, oh yeah, I've done that. Yeah, perfect, mm -mm, you know, star for me. And Jesus looks at him, Mark says it, he looked at him and he loved him. And he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. You'll have riches in heaven. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions. And then Jesus chased after him and said, wait, 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 time out. Maybe let's just half compromise because I need you to like me in order for you to get saved. The rich young ruler, uh, Jesus allowed the rich young ruler to count the cost. And we don't know. He may have just counted the cost and said, nope, too much, and he was separated from God for eternity. Some scholars wonder if the rich young ruler was Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man who eventually got saved and donated the tomb in which Jesus was buried. Now, we don't know. It, it, we'll never know till heaven. It's, it's possible but did you know it's better to let people count the cost? Because what you win them with, you win them to. If you win them with a watered-down gospel, you just replicated a watered-down disciple, and they will not stand in these last days. They will cave. If you win them because you fear man more than you fear God, you reproduce a disciple that fears man more than they fear God. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus fed thousands of people. John chapter 6 fed thousands of people. And then afterwards he says, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And all these people were like, no, that's creepy, that's weird, ain't nah. And Peter's like, Jesus, 
Okay, that's my translation. We had a mega church. What are you doing sending the people away? And Jesus said, well, I, what are you going to leave to, Peter? Well, no, you have the words of life. We'll stick around. Jesus was not interested in numbers and building a mega church and a mega following. He was interested in proclaiming the truth and winning disciples who would stand until the end. Amen. And you know what? The risk was worth it. Sometimes it didn't work, work out so well and people left. We tend to believe the lie. If I lose people, I'm not doing it right. Imagine if Jesus lived by that rule. No, you're going to lose people. Jesus said, if, you, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you love the world, the world will love you as its own. But as it is, you don't love the world. I've taken you out of it. But they're going to hate you. You're not, a teacher, a, a, a student is not greater than their teacher, their master. If they hated the most loving being on the universe who came to give his life for them, and they hated him without reason, there was no reason for them to hate him. And if they hated him, they are going to hate you. Why? Because we're not battling flesh and blood. It's not just the human being in front of you, it's the demonic forces and principalities behind it all. You will be hated, I guarantee you. And so if you're not hated, you're not doing it right. <laughs> we think we have to have everybody love us so that people can get saved. You know what, sometimes people need to count the cost. Now, we, we don't want to unnecessarily offend, so we speak the truth in love, of course, like Jesus. But we let people count the cost. And you know what, sometimes it's going to pay off. Woman at the well. Oh, you've been shacking up with this guy that you're with now. He's not your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and now you're living in adultery, in you know, fornication, adultery. And the woman, understatement of the Bible, I see that you're a prophet. <laughs> and he said, you know, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me for living water, because I see you're thirsty. You're thirsting man after man after man, and you think the next man is going to fill you. I was thirsty after woman, after woman, after woman. And Jesus said, Linda, I can satisfy that thirst. It's a legitimate thirst that I can satisfy in a legitimate way. But you've been looking to illegitimate means. And that woman left her bucket at the well, went into the city and said, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. She got saved. Droves of people got saved as a result. Why? Because Jesus didn't care if she was offended. Sometimes the people are going to be offended, but you know what? Sometimes people are going to be cut to the heart and repent, and they will be among the most radical disciples you have ever seen. Don't elevate the second commandment to love others above the first and greatest commandment. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he will show you how to love others well. And when they hate you, he will comfort you. There is something about sharing in the fellowship of suffering and affliction with Jesus. I was reading recently in uh, the Bible, uh, it was a good thing to do, and um, in Galatians it says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't serve God and serve people at the same time. Imagine if the disciples lived that way. Remember in Acts chapter 4 when they healed the guy at the gate called Beautiful and then they're like, uh, the leaders said, don't do that anymore. We forbid you to preach in that name anymore. And they, they beat them and like they persecuted them. In Acts chapter 4, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all the chief priests and elders and said to them, and they cried in self-pity and asked God to consider their threats and tell the religious leaders to stop being meanies. 
In fear, they watered down their message to make it more acceptable so as not to offend others and avoid further persecution, enabling them to reach more people with a compromised gospel. I'm afraid some people are reading this Bible. Lest I be struck down and add to the words of God, let me read what the word actually says. Acts chapter 4, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all the chief priests and elders had said when they heard this. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth, the sea, everything in them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. If you will go back to the Lord when you're persecuted, he will embolden you and empower you. And that is my prayer this morning for this congregation that we don't back down and be chameleons, but we say, Lord, consider their threats and empower us to respond in the opposite spirit rather than being silenced and chameleons and fearing people. May we fear God more than we fear man. But we need God to do that because I, I'm just like you. I don't want to be hated. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be shamed and condemned. I'm human just like you. And we must have God fill us up and empower us. And we must understand there is a fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. So as I was reading recently in Matthew 5 on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> this is one of those verses that doesn't make the like inspiring prayer journals and the plaques we put on the wall. You know, there's like a scripture at the bottom of the page. You'll never see this one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, you're blessed when people insult you, when they persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You guys, when we are persecuted, there's a blessing. Not because you're a jerk in your Westboro Baptist Church and you mis misrepresent Jesus. There's no, no blessing in that for anybody. But when you love people well and you speak the truth and, and you're willing, you're in the middle of speaking and people get up and they walk out. It's happened to me multiple times. But I'm not going to back down. I'm still going to love and I'm still going to speak the truth because I don't need them to affirm me. I need Jesus. And I need to love him with everything I've got so I can love others well. And if they walk away and they reject Jesus, I hope they count the cost. And I hope at some point they consider coming back and serving him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5 says. But if, it, if the salt loses its saltiness, you know how we're losing it? Oh, well, the, the preferred pronoun thing, I got to affirm gay marriage, I got to call a man a woman. In my, in my book, I address how to address those things, you know, being as wise as serpents and as innocent as a doves. But I'll, let me summarize it this way. I am going to love the person in front of me well, but I am not going to contribute to the spiritual strongholds that are driving what's going on in our culture. I'm going to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. And I am not going to be manipulated into participating in a known lie. I will not join you in your rebellion against our creator and his good design for our sexuality. So I'm going to love you well but I'm going to be wise in the way that I address you, the words that I use, the names, the pronouns, all of that stuff. And yet some of us are compromising in that area because we want people to love it. We, don't, we believe the lie. If they don't love me, then they're not going to love my Jesus. 
I'm telling you, when people see you lay your life down for Jesus, they go, wow, that must be something worth dying for. There must be value in Jesus that you're willing even to risk reputation and relationship while still loving. But we are losing our saltiness, church. And if we lose it, you can't, if, you, if you try to win people with a lie, at what point do you begin telling them the truth? And if you do a bait and switch because you're winning them with a lie, but then all of a sudden you switch, you have lost your saltiness. How do they know they can trust you? You know what? I've had people that lived, you know, had the surgeries, lived as appearing as the opposite gender. You don't become the opposite sex, but they've lived that way. And my friend Laura talks about how after eight or nine years living as Jake, and God was beginning to convict her heart, and she realized it was all a lie. She'll never actually become a man, and she was miserable. She didn't go back to the LGBTQ community that was loving her and saying, oh, you know, you're born perfect and we'll love you just the way you are in your brokenness. She went back to the believers who never did compromise and said, you're Laura, God created you as Laura, there's a plan for your life and we love you. And we're not going to compromise, but we're going to love you. And she went back to those people who loved her well into wholeness and she's living today as Laura. Married a man, living for Jesus, walking out who God designed her to be as a woman because People didn't lose their salt. You're the light of the world. We have lights here, and we like let them shine so that we can see. You put a cover over them, you can't see. We're designed to be the light. We're designed to shine and not blend in and cover up and be a chameleon and not say anything because we don't want to stick out or be persecuted. You are designed by God to shine so that people will see Jesus. Not about seeing you. It's about seeing Jesus. Here's the good news. The darker it gets the more the gospel will shine in contrast. People are complaining, oh, it's such a dark culture, cancel culture, this terrible world, the U.S. is going to hell in a handbasket, and all the stuff that people are saying. Okay, there's a lot of truth to that. It's a very dark world that we live in, but the good news is the gospel will shine brighter in contrast. And we're afraid of being canceled, but let me tell you the greatest news of all. They might cancel you, they might ridicule you, who cares? Blessed are you when they persecute you. Here's the good news. Jesus has canceled your sin. He will not cancel you. But we have good news to share with the world. In this culture where people are terrified of being canceled, we have good news. Jesus will never cancel you no matter what you've done. He's not going to go 30 years into the past and say, Linda, I found this thing. It's all under the blood. Just like this morning we talked about communion. Jesus was broken so that I can be whole. His body was broken. He shed his blood so that we can be whole. That's good news, my friends. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that good news. So scripture says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's renew our minds. And how do we do that? Through the word of God. We are conforming like chameleons to this culture. And as a result, we want to be liked. We're elevating the fear of man over the fear of God. But sadly, we are biblically illiterate, especially the younger generation. We are more attuned to Netflix and social media and all of that than we are to the Word of God. I'm telling you guys, we're not going to stand in these last days unless we're in the Word on a regular basis, renewing our mind, renewing our will and emotions to align with God's design rather than what this world says. And sadly, we have conformed God to our image instead of being transformed to become like Him. And so we're living according to the pattern of this world instead of resisting that pattern and living transformed. So I want to encourage you guys, get in the Word on a regular basis. Renew your mind. Meditate on what God's Word says. 
Don't elevate the second commandment above the first. Love him with everything you've got. Trust him to show you how to love people well. And be prepared. You're going to be hated without reason. It won't make sense. You're, you're trying to be as loving as you can. And if Jesus was hated, you're going to be hated too. But blessed are you. Father, I pray that you give us grace as your people to love you well and to not elevate people's opinion above yours. God, to see things through the context of your world, this, your word, this world is passing away, but your word is going to stand forever. And I pray for grace to live through the lens of your word, to value your word more than we value the things of this life, and to renew our mind, to renew our hearts. And would you embolden and strengthen us to stand and not be chameleons, God. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want to leave you this morning with a few resources. Oh, sorry. You were like, ready to go. Um, <clears throat> so I already mentioned my book is out there available if you are interested in that. Uh, we have like square uh, credit card things, cash, whatever. Um, and then secondly, we have um, videos, equipping videos through Restory Ministries. These are free. So if you go to our website, restoryministries.org, or you just do the QR code here, it will take you to 14 free videos. It's a, it's a recording of our national conference we did last year. It has me on there, 11 other speakers, testimonies of transformation, all sorts of topics related to LGBTQ. We exist because of your generous giving. We can offer resources like this for free without a paywall. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Secondly, we have um, a conference coming up in Indianapolis next year. We're doing our next national conference. And it's close this year, within driving distance, or next year, within driving distance. So it's going to be in Indianapolis at Grace uh, Assembly in New Whiteland area. Um, we hope that you'll consider joining us. Early bird registration is already open. Uh, again, this is multiple speakers, not just me. We're going to have Dr. Hruz, who talks about um, transgender medicalization among children. We'll have a variety of other speakers, testimonies, discussion groups, small group breakouts, all sorts of things to equip you in this area. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Thirdly, we have, um, if you want to get a hold of resources and know when they become available, our website has a sign up. You can just click that QR code or go to our website, enter your name and email. We will send you announcements when conferences are coming, videos are released, books are out there, whatever, if you want to stay on the cutting edge. And then finally, if you would pray for us. Uh, I have a need. The need is greater than I am able to respond to, and I need help. We have a missions associate named Eunice who is currently raising her budget uh, to work with us. She has $1,200 a month to go. Um, you guys do missions differently. Don't click on the QR code. Uh, but if you're interested in giving through the church, talk to Pastor Devin, and, and it's part of your giving, and God blesses missions. Super important to give to missions. Um, so anyway, uh, any help you can do with Eunice would be much appreciated. And secondly, I need help with, like, restory bookkeeping and doing accounting. If you know anybody that does that kind of stuff and would love to support the ministry and help us in that way, I would love to talk with you, and you can uh, contact us through our website there. So thank you again for your support and enabling me to do what I do as a missionary. Bless you guys. Can we appreciate Linda today? <laughs> thank you.